Today's scripture reading is from John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not, only, it was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as, a, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after he ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is Father, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come for your blessing upon your holy word. You have been with us as you called us into worship and continue to remain with us as we hear your word proclaimed to us. And Father, show yourself as the light. Remove the darkness from our eyes and in our souls so that we may rejoice in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, for the preaching of the word. We pray for the hearers of this word. We pray that you would be with them and bless them and be with me as I speak your truth. May I speak it with the confidence of Christ, and may I know that you are here, blessing your people, blessing all of us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you had to tell the story of Jesus, where would you begin? Would you begin with the story of Christmas, or would you start somewhere else, maybe in the book of Isaiah, or maybe in the book of Genesis? If we look at the Gospels, each author had to start the story of Jesus Christ somewhere, and their selections are interesting. Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus, and what he does is highlight the Jewishness of Jesus and how Jesus is the chosen Messiah that comes from the line of David. Mark starts with the prophecy of Isaiah. Jesus and John the Baptist were not people who just randomly appeared onto the scene, but their personhood was foretold in the scriptures long ago. Luke begins with an extended narrative of John the Baptist. John the Baptist of how he was born, how he was foretold, and how his birth came to be, most likely highlighting the transition from the Old Covenant 
to the new covenant. Now, the gospel we are reading today, John starts at creation. And it's interesting to ask, why start at creation? In the beginning was the Word. And that harkens back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why does John decide to start his gospel in this way? Well, it helps to know why John is writing this gospel in the first place. And if you look at John chapter 20, verse 30, you see John's thesis statement or purpose for writing this whole gospel letter to the people. This is what he says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the purpose of John. And John wants to proclaim the name of Jesus to everybody. That's why he starts with creation. If you are living on earth, this message applies to you. If you have breath or life or if you participate in human nature in any way, this message is for you and you need to listen up. And here John begins beautifully in the first 18 verses telling us the grand scheme of his whole gospel that Jesus came for all of creation and it is only in Jesus where you will find the true purpose in light of creation. I'm not going to be telling you anything new in this sermon, but just re-emphasizing the old truth that life in Jesus Christ is true life and life as it was intended to be. That is the radical claim John is making and one I hope that you will take to heart and treasure in your soul. So let us quickly see how John looked um, began his gospel. It starts again, as I said, in the beginning was the Word, which harkens back to in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But John's selection here is interesting. Why did he say in the beginning was the Word? What is the purpose of that? Well, if you go back to Genesis 1-1, you see how God created the whole earth. And how did he do it? He spoke everything into existence. God's most powerful attribute, and which is highlighted all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, is the power of his word. He can speak and all things come into existence. Everything is good and made by the power of God's speaking. And oftentimes as we see God talked about in the Old Testament, we see that he makes fun of other gods. And how does he make fun of them? He says they cannot speak like I can. Psalm 115 verse 4 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Jeremiah 10 verse 5 says, Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. And on and on, God will say, Why do you worship gods that cannot speak? Look at me, I spoke, and life came about. 
So here, John is trying to emphasize God's greatest power is his speaking ability, his spoken word. But he's also doing something else. He's also personifying the word and saying this word that God spoke is actually Jesus Christ. Now, this is a little bit mysterious and very metaphysical, so I'm not going to get into that. Well, maybe a little bit. But the word here is actually Jesus. When God speaks, it is Jesus who is making everything. That's why in verse 3, John says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus' story does not begin at Christmas. It begins at the creation of the world. Jesus was there at the very beginning, and not just there, he was an active participant as God was speaking, things were being made, and he was speaking in Jesus, his name. Now, this is not something only John picks up, but other authors in the New Testament pick up as well. Listen to Paul as he describes Jesus's, um, Jesus's participation in creation. This is from Colossians 1, 15, and 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So here's this crazy notion Everything exists because of Jesus. The most powerful thing God has done is Jesus. That is what John is trying to show everybody. And again, Paul is not the only one. John is not the only one. The author of Hebrews also picks this up and says this, Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The world is here because of Jesus. God spoke and things came to being. Now, the word, we will also begin to explore what does this mean? Who is Jesus then? Is he God? Is he a separate creature from God? What are all these things? And John will begin to speak into all those things, saying that Jesus is fully God and fully man. But for our purposes of this prologue, John just wants to bring home the point that the created order exists because of the triune God in which God speaks, Jesus is the word, and now things have come to life. And in verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, what does this darkness mean? Here, John is beginning to hit that there is a problem with the world. See, when God created the world, the darkness didn't have any power. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, they were the ones that had all the power, and that when they created the whole world, it was good. 
When God created the earth, it was good. It was made in the light. And that's why we see in Genesis 1, constantly after God made something, after he spoke something into being, he said, yes, it's good. When he created the sun and the moon, he said, yes, it's good. When he made all the animals, he said, yes, it's good. Creation is good. And what was the purpose of creation? Well, it was made for man. That is what also is emphasized in Genesis 1. Man was the centerpiece of this creation, and men were supposed to delight in it. And they were supposed to praise God during that time. Proverbs chapter 8 gives us a hint of the true intention of the created order. This is Proverbs chapter 8, verse 7. It says this, When he established the heavens, I was there. Now this is wisdom, but this is Jesus. Wisdom personified, pointing to Jesus. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his commands, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of men." Pure joy was supposed to be experienced both by the creator and the created. And there was supposed to be delight in this new world that God had created, had spoken into being, and people were supposed to praise God and praise Jesus. But here's the thing, as John begins to allude to, that there was this darkness. And what happened was that this created order began to become a little dark. That's why in verses 6 through 9, we are introduced to John the Baptist, and he introduces us to our current present um, situation, our present situation, in that the created order has been darkened, so much so that John's main purpose in his life was to point everyone to the light. And why did John the Baptist have to point everyone to the light? Verse 9 gives us a hint. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world had gotten so dark that it could not even recognize its creator. They had no idea for what the created order was made for. People began guessing, oh, maybe it's made for this. Maybe this is the purpose of life. Maybe this is the purpose of life. And everyone kept doing their own thing, their own agenda, and so much so that evil crept in and became more powerful. To the point when Jesus, in which everything was made, came as a babe. No one recognized him. Even John the Baptist had to ask repeatedly, are you the one? Everyone couldn't see Jesus. And what happened? The joy was gone. There was a fear of death 
and dread came over all of humanity. And it is still inside of us. I want us to consider something the proverb proverb author says here. In chapter 30, verse 18, he looks out into the world and still sees God. But I want us to examine a little bit of how the world has darkened just a bit. Here he says, three things are too wonderful for me. Four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. So here are four things that the proverb author looks out into the world and sees that there is something great and wondrous about it all. He looks out and he sees the eagle fly over and he says, how is this possible? How is this being done? They look at the serpent on the rock and it's amazing. How does an animal move like this? The engineering, the mechanism, how has this happened? And the ship on the high seas, how a huge object can float and just seamlessly go through the waters. Here, surely there is a creator and a man with a virgin, something wonderful and beautiful to be holding by all of humanity. Yet when you look at these things, you can't help feel some dread. You see, yes, it's wonderful, but there's something inside of you that does not allow you to fully enjoy it. The serpent on a rock. Yes, it's amazing. But if I saw a serpent on the rock, I would be screaming. And why? Why would I be screaming? Because it's a threat to my life. There becomes an awareness of the fragility of life. How fragile life is. You look out into the boat and you see the waves and how it moves and you're like, amazing. But to be honest, I'm terrified of the ocean. And for many people living in ancient times, the ocean was a place of death. That's where people died. So here you look out into this beautiful, magnificent thing and you say, surely there is a creator, but I can't enjoy it. There's something dark and I understand my limitations and death. And the way of man with a virgin, sex, something that is so beautiful that creates life that should be celebrated by all. I don't have to talk too much about this one, but it has been darkened. It is now a tool that destroys lives rather than builds lives. It's an act that destroys communities. And though we see it as something beautiful and wonderful, we can't yet look at it. We still look at it and see the perversion that has come to that act. Everything we look at, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but it's tainted by this darkness. And we can't get over it. So that is why Jesus is coming back. To relieve that tension. He comes back to be the light so that the darkness cannot overcome our sight and the created order. So how do we see the light? How is this tension revealed or relieved inside of us? And John begins to explain in verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you see this light? 
you receive Jesus. How do you receive Jesus? You believe in his name. And what does it mean to believe in his name? You believe that he is the second person of the Trinity. That's Jesus. You believe that he's fully God and that he's fully man. You believe that he came to redeem your soul, to pay for your sins. And that when Jesus died on the cross, your sins were forgiven by the Creator. And that on the third day, he rose again from the dead and claimed for all his children heaven forevermore. That's what it means to believe in his name. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That is what it means to see the light. But I love how John does this. There's a caveat, though. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here he says that this light that you receive does not come by your own power, nor does it come from your family line. In the Old Testament, if you were born as a born an Israelite, you're an Israelite. That's it. That's what happened. You didn't choose, but all you had to do was just be in existence, speak a word, and then you are an Israelite. Here, God is saying that is not the case. You may be born into a Christian family, but you are not simply a Christian because your dad was a Christian or your mom was a Christian. That's not how it works. You are a Christian because God has chosen you. Second, no man has chosen God. God did not, you did not choose God. This is what it's saying, nor the will of man. God is the person that chose you, and that should make us stop and reflect. This faith that you have has come to you because God has given it to you. You believe because God has allowed you to believe. And we forget that sometimes. When the world calls us foolish, we want to respond, no, we're not foolish, we're very smart. But here, John is saying, no, you are foolish. There's no real reason to believe in all of these things according to the world. There's no rational argument. There's no logic in which you connect the two dots and like, oh, okay, that's how we come to God, the creator. People have tried, but this is a magical, mystical knowledge that comes to you, which is a gift from God. It is the foolishness of the gospel that we believe that has come to you. And this is why Christians celebrate. It is nothing that you have done. You were not someone who thought, man, I'm a pretty smart guy. I can discern truth. Therefore, I choose Jesus. No. God opened your hearts and allowed you to see the light. And for that, we give thanks and praise to God. And we're able to see the light. Now, what happens when you're able to see the light? John tells us we become the children of God. Now, what does that mean? And this is very essential to John's whole point. You become the children of God, therefore, the tension is alleviated between the darkness 
and the light. What does it mean to be a child of God? On the very fundamental level, it is that joy has now re-entered into your life. You now understand the purpose of your life and why human beings were created in the first place. It was to worship Jesus. It was to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to just for a second consider this. Many people think that once Jesus has come back, we're supposed to find joy on this earth. That's not the case. Everyone thinks that when Jesus comes back, we are going back to the Garden of Eden. But the Garden of Eden is not the goal. It's not the goal. Why? Because Adam had no sin, yet he still longed for something more. That's what caused him to sin. Even though he had no sin, he was not made complete because the point of all the created order was to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And Adam had not yet had that yet, even though he had no sin. The whole goal of humanity was to have a union so strong, so profound, that we would be made complete. So this joy that is coming back is not one found in the Garden of Eden, but it is found in the future heavens and earth that is coming. Verses 14 and 16 is all about new creation. It is about new creation. You have been made something complete made completely new. The joy that you now experience is not one you can find anywhere on earth. If the goal was just to find joy on earth, you can go do other things. There's a lot of fun activities, fulfilling activities that you can do here. It just won't last. What Jesus is offering is a joy that will last beyond the created order what you are originally intended to experience. I want to quickly explain to us verses 14 and 16. It's all set up to show us that this is the new Mount Sinai. The words that come up repeatedly are Moses, glory, and tabernacle. Now, you may be thinking, I see no word, tabernacle there. It's there in the Greek. It is translated, Jesus dwelled among us. The direct translation is Jesus tabernacled among us. So if you take all the words glory, tabernacle, God, Moses, all those things, it points back to Exodus 33, where God is receiving, uh, where Moses is receiving the law from God, and God has just told him that he is going to reside in a tent with the people in the wilderness. And after God tells him that, Moses requests, God, can I see your glory? And God says, no one can see my glory and live, but you can see behind me. And Moses was able to see just the back of God, and there he was changed. But here, here all that took place, and what was that for? For Israel to become an official nation, a new nation that the world has never seen before. That was the whole purpose of Sinai. With Jesus' advent and his coming, he was creating a whole new kingdom. 
Not one governed by law. One governed by grace and truth. In which everyone becomes a child of God in which there is pure joy. Jesus became one of us so that you could experience not more law, but pure grace, truth, and joy. Christians need to be filled with joy because now and forevermore, you are a child of God. In verse Peter, in verse 1 Peter chapter 1 through 8, this is what it says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And what is the result of this belief? And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. People of God, we have seen the glory of God and it is found in Jesus Christ. And as you believe, you should be filled with joy because now you know why you were created. Now you know your purpose on earth. It is to be the child of God and receive all his blessings and all his grace. This life we get to live the cherry on top. It's a wonderful life. Get married. Ride boats. Look at snakes. <laughs> do what your heart desires, but do it with great joy because now it all makes sense. This great creator has made you his, and this is just a tidbit of what we will experience because in the new heavens and the new earth, it will be so much grander. We will be with Jesus in the flesh and we will be praising him forevermore. It is a great thing to talk about, a wonderful thing to see. And we will be praising Jesus with all the saints in heaven. And we will have joy, pure, unbridled joy. We have a glimpse of it now, but it's going to be so much better. I wasn't going to say this, but I had a chance to set up with Joel and Heidi, and Joel was right there, and probably the best conversation I had today, he just asked, hey, you think in heaven there's going to be a long line to talk to Ignatius? It's <laughs> a Christian theologian, and you have to understand Joel for where that question came from. But just even that split second, I said, I don't know, maybe, but we're going to have Jesus as the preacher. Maybe there'll be time. What is it like in a million years? It was a nonsensical conversation. But it brought deep joy. It's those simple joys when we just for a glimpse begin to think about heaven. We no longer have to think about the pains of this world and all that's going on. We get to think about the great time we will have in heaven, and it begins now. So my only encouragement to you today is this. Be happy. Know that you are a child of God, and just give glory to his name. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. We thank you that you are our God.
We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. For many of us, there is a darkness that we can't seem to get rid of. It's difficult. But we've seen enough, God, and we know that you are the way. So help us to see you more. Help us to feel this joy that comes with knowing you. You have promised it, and so we expect it. Bless us, our God. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.